Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. We also have an Instagram, I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. This show is always free, but we do appreciate any support that we get from you guys. And if you submit uh, $5 or more, if you pledge $5 or more a month, you do get a weekly bonus episode with all my thoughts on weekly pop culture news, new movies, and things like that. I do want to um, go ahead and thank my top patrons who are Chris Balga, Jeff Woodman, Michael Cross, and Joseph George. Again, thank you so much for keeping the light on. Um, we've also got a Teespring if you want any I Love That Movie merch, as well as a Discord and Facebook group. Um, and if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Uh, last couple of quick things to plug. We have a meetup February 23rd at the Alamo Draft House at 4 o'clock, um, and we will be watching uh, Queen of Snakes, which is Christopher R. Mim's movie. Um, that's always a really fun time, guys. It's only about 5 bucks, and the $5 actually goes towards a voucher back on your bill, so you get $5 off. So it's like the movie's free, and it's a really fun time. We usually meet around 3.30 in the lobby at the Alamo Draft House in Richardson, and then we watch the movie together. It's really cool. People dress up. It's a fun time. I promise. Come out and hang out with us. Uh, We've also got a couple panels coming up in March. Um, March 12th at 9 o'clock, we'll be showing the, or we'll be discussing the creature from the Black Lagoon. And then on March 14th, we'll be talking about the movie Them. Um, In both cases, these live shows, live shows will have the guests, uh, Christopher Armim and Michael Cross will be there. And it's a really fun time. Half of the, uh, episode is typically just like a regular episode but live and then the other half we do a Q&A where people in the audience submit their questions and stuff like that it's a really good time we hope to see y'all there um, and that's all my plugs for today so I do want to introduce I have a returning guest I have Tony say hi Tony hi there and if you haven't heard him on my podcast before this is my dad <laughs> yes indeed yeah Okay, Dad. Well, I'm glad you're back on the show. <laughs> um, so my guest always selects the movie. What movie did you want to talk about today? Bram Stoker's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. This movie came out in 1992. And fun fact, my dad and I actually saw this movie with Nick and with a few people you've heard on the show before, like Charles and Debbie and Joseph. We all went to the Alamo Draft House and they showed this movie. Some of the people there dressed up, so that was kind of fun. Um, and so we got to see this on the big screen, but when was the first time you saw this movie? It must have been in 1992 when the movie came out because I saw it right away. Oh, so you saw it in theaters. I believe so. That was, that was a long time ago now, but I <laughs> think I did. 
Okay, great. Well, um, I think you recommended this movie to me. So I think the first time I saw this movie, you suggested it. Yes, I do remember that because it was a good movie and it's a good story. I don't remember how old I was, though. Do you? I don't remember that either, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I I just know. I feel like a teenager, I think. Very Um, You had me read the book, too, I think. Yeah. Probably so, because I read the book. Yeah, I feel like, you know, people may not know from listening to the show, but you're a pretty big vampire fan. Yes, I am. Because you like this movie, the book, and then you also like uh, Anne Rice, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. (laughs) So I got introduced to Anne Rice through you as well. All right, before we go further, I'm going to go ahead and read the synopsis of this movie. I always mention to you guys that it's best if you watch the movie before listening to these episodes so that you get the full picture because we are not going to be spoiler free. But here is the synopsis of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Count Dracula, a 15th century prince, is condemned to live off the blood of the living for eternity. A young lawyer, Jonathan Harker, is sent to Dracula's castle to finalize a land deal. But when the Count sees a a photo of Harker's fiancée, Mina, the spitting image of his dead wife, he imprisons him and sets off for London to track her down. That's a pretty good synopsis. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing I'm going to do is read off a couple of quick facts. Uh, so the first fact that I have is that Gary Oldman hired a singing coach to help him achieve uh, a lower octave in his voice to give him a, to give Dracula a more sinister quality. Had you heard that before? Mm-mm, no, that's new to me. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. He does sound different in this movie. Do you, do you agree with that than in some of his other roles? Yes, he does. Yeah. Uh, when Mina, and the next one I have, gosh, okay, so the next fact that I have, when Mina, Winona Ryder, recalls her previous life as Elizabetta, she remembers a land beyond a great forest. Land beyond the forest is the literal meaning of Transylvania. So that's kind of (laughs) cool. And then the last one that I had was that Francis Ford Coppola claims that Bram Stoker's name was included in the title because he has a tradition of putting the author's names in the titles of his movies that are adapted from novels, such as Mario Puzo's The Godfather in 1972 and John Grisham's The Rainmaker in 1997. Others have claimed, however, that Stoker's name was included to avoid legal action from Universal Studios, who claimed to own the rights to the simple title Dracula, made in 1931. Oh, I see. No, I didn't know that was the reason why he did that. I just thought he was letting us know this is Bram Stoker's Dracula. This isn't somebody else's. Okay. From Rice or somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And I hadn't noticed that about his movies. I wonder if that's the case. Well, I know he was like friends with mario mario puzo so that was a little bit different but this time i don't know the idea that it's to avoid legal action kind of makes more sense and it does do a good job of saying like this isn't that dracula this is my dracula or the original dracula yes and i'm glad he he did that actually because this is my favorite dracula bram stokers as opposed to yeah other people's draculas yeah. yeah um so francis ford coppola you guys 
have probably heard us talk about on the show, we did cover The Godfather. Um, and obviously, he's one of the great directors that we like to revisit. Uh, also, another one of my favorite movies, he directed Apocalypse Now. But I would include Dracula in that list because I really like this film. And uh, I kind of forget that he directed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, just because when you list off, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's accomplishments, usually The Godfather and Apocalypse Now are like the first ones you mentioned and Dracula's, you know, further down the list. But I think that it, you know, it, it's one of the great films that he made and I really appreciate it. Um, a little bit about Francis Ford Coppola. If you haven't heard our Godfather episode, uh, just a quick blurb that I added was that he is among an elite group of seven directors who have won Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay for the same film. Uh, he won all three for Godfather Part Two. Um, and the others, uh, the other directors that have the same, you know, status would be like Billy Wilder, uh, Leo McCary, James L. Brooks, Peter Jackson, Joel and Ethan Cohen, and then Alejandro G. Inaratu. And actually, we can add uh, Bong Joon Ho to that list because he just won those same three awards as well recently. So that's kind of cool. Uh, Parasite. Okay. Um, so, uh, anyway, that's what I have about Francis Ford Coppola. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Not specifically about him, but I do have a lot to say about the rest of the movie. Okay, well then let's dive into the rest of the movie. Um, I think we could list off all the people that are in this, but I think it's a little bit more organic if we um, talk about the plot of the movie, and then we'll kind of mention the actors as we go along. So I'll start with you, Dad. Why don't we talk about some of your favorite scenes? Okay. The very first thing that I that comes to mind with this movie is that uh, it's a love story. Mm-hmm. It's a love story. It begins as a love story. It very quickly becomes tragic, and then it ends as a love story. The, the, they, they end it in a... the, the um, Let's put it a, uh, they do a very good job of ending it and starting it. And it reminds you again that it is a love story mm-hmm. and that it, it is a tragic uh, love story. And the two key figures live very, very tragic lives. Dracula more so than, than Mina. But beginning with the fact that it starts out in his home, in uh, Dracula's home. It starts out there, and he, um, through no fault of his own, he is called to go to war uh, for his country, and he does that. But when he returns victoriously, he discovers that he has lost the love of his life. She has committed suicide knowing, thinking, believing that he had been killed in the war. Mm -hmm. And so immediately you have the the tragedy of his wife dying. And then to compound that, you have the church, which a very big part of this whole thing is the church and is their Catholic faith uh, at that time in history. I think it's um, in 1462. And he is told immediately and, and in a very crude way that your wife is going to hell because she committed suicide. And that was the belief of the church. By um, a priest that is played by Anthony Hopkins who later also plays Van Helsing. I didn't realize that yeah. that was him as a priest, but yeah. it's, it's, it's fitting. It's like this idea of reincarnation is weirdly throughout this movie, even though 
that doesn't really fall in with the Catholic faith, but nonetheless, it's there. I also wanted to mention really quick before you continue that this opening sequence is so beautiful and so different. I mean, you know, right away, the aesthetic of the film is so different from other, you know, Dracula or vampire films. Um, the costume that uh, Gary Oldman, who plays Dracula in this movie, is wearing looks very different from what you would expect his armor to look like because it's not historically accurate. It's more picked for aesthetics. It's more artistic. Um, it almost looks like muscles, you know, that yes. red muscle suit, I think, which would be really cool to make, by the way. <laughs> but um, it reminds me a lot of the aesthetic in the movie The Cell, um, which I feel like came around came out around the same time but I'm not positive um but also the battle scene that almost looks like like sometimes it's actors in everyone's in silhouette but sometimes the actors are actually more like paper like figures that are being puppeteered so you almost feel like you're watching a play in the beginning scene as it's being retold I think that's really interesting and then um, I do have a different take on uh, Vlad than you do, <laughs> or he's kind of based on Vlad the Impaler, right? right. Um, but my take on it is that he, I don't think of him as like somebody that this just bad things happen to because he is an Impaler. He does kill people without mercy. And then he comes back, like you said, this part is sad that his wife, you know, thinks he's dead and so she kills herself. And then he's immediately angry, like, why would God reward me this way? Look at all the good things I've done. To which I kind of, in the back of my mind, I'm like, you also did torture and kill a lot of people. <laughs> now, I know we're keeping with the times, but to me, there is an air, like, there's an idea throughout this movie that, like, I mean, at the end of the day, he's, like, a bad guy. I mean, he's, like, a villain. Like, he's the main protagonist, but he's not a good person. Like, what ends up happening next? I mean, the fact that he starts off as, like, an impaler, like, I think plays into that so well that he becomes like this evil scary dracula later it's like part of, to me it's kind of part of who he is yes it drove him to do that but he was also evil to begin with and i do think that he has redemption in the end a little bit but i just feel like we're we're bringing humanity to somebody that isn't necessarily good and i'm fine with that by the way i think that it's an interesting story arc but it's kind of like I don't know, kind of like in the movie The Godfather, where it's like you're getting to see their whole life and their descent and all that, but it's like you're not necessarily expected to think they're, like, good, you know? Do you, do you kind of agree with that a little bit? I do agree, but I disagree as well. And let <laughs> okay. me tell you why. Before I, I go into that, I, I do want to finish my, uh, my train of thought about how this is a love story. Oh, yeah, and, starts... and, and I'm not trying to take away from that. I hope that's clear. Right, but it starts out... Very well as a love story. Tragedy happens immediately. Mm -hmm. He obviously is angry at God and the church. Right. And it plays out throughout the whole movie. But here's, at the end, it also ends like a love story. And this is uh -huh. what, I, it yeah. has a good cap ending where you, you start out with these two people who are the main figures all the way through. And then at the end, they continue to be the main figures. But you end up with, with um, uh, Dracula and Mina Harker with each other talking to each other no, they both know what has happened they're both uh, uh she has reincarnated he is still the same person right and then uh sadly he has to die now mm -hmm. and so they cannot never be together they were never supposed to be together and sure enough they're not together now so that also is a is a tragedy 
So he dies, and now she is uh, somewhat redeemed because of this, which is not real consistent with vampires. You don't get redeemed <laughs> by <laughs> yeah. doing something good. And then also, let me say something about Dracula himself. Mm-hmm. He may have been momentarily redeemed, but he was not really redeemed. This man, yeah. not only did he live for 400 years slaughtering people, (laughs) surviving off their blood. This is not a good guy. But it is a tragic love story. It begins as a love story, ends as a love story. And from it, I I don't think a lot of people see it as a love story. They see it as a scary movie about Dracula. Oh, no, no. I agree with you. It's a tragic story about Mm -hmm. a man who was cheated in life. And then he he said, there's going to be hell to pay. And there yeah. was hell to pay for 400 years. By the time he re- reconnects with Mina, uh, he sees the futility of it all. Right. You know, he, it in takes fact, him he, that long. That, that's what I meant, I think, is that he starts off as, as somebody who I, I, I don't think is necessarily good to begin with. But sh- I think she loved him despite that. I think as evil as he was, he still loved her and she still loved him. So that sort of exists separately from what they're like morality wise right they there maybe he's a bad person but he still loved her and then when she's taken away from him he uses all that wrath and power that he has and he channels that into becoming dracula and then he spends years just miserable and slaughtering people and all that and at the end yeah when he finally gets her back he's like huh if i really love somebody i wouldn't put them through all this <laughs> yes he, this is and then this that's is when the... he finally comes full circle with realizing and i think in the end that is sort of a little bit of a redemption for him yeah so i i think we're on the same page yeah i agree that there is some sort of redemption uh but the the thing I like about the ending is that it, it takes you back to the beginning. Yeah, it even takes you back to the house. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's interesting. I didn't mention this yet, but, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's big breakout movie that, you know, he's known for is The Godfather. Mm-hmm. And uh, that movie was so successful because I think part of the reason why it worked was he himself was, you know, Italian. Yes. And he incorporated a lot of his own life and uh growing up in the catholic church and stuff like that into Mm. it and it's interesting that this movie also talks about the catholic church you know a lot so he's kind of like he's incorporating again things that he knows and understands um maybe that he doesn't necessarily believe them Mm. but it's things that he is familiar with and i don't know i just noticed that little a little bit of a connection there yes and and back to to uh vlad or uh, dracula who's who is the Lord, the king calls upon him, actually the church calls upon him to fight the Turks. This was a, you could call this a religious war, and they, uh, they're they supposed to defend the mother country, mm-hmm. and he does a great job. He, he, he goes out there and he fights, just like all the other lords in this feudal system. They fight, and they are successful, and he comes back, and now he is ready for his reward, and his right. reward is peace. He has his, his people, and he has his bride, and he's going to either marry her or he's already married to her, and live live a long uh, fairy tale life happily right. ever after. Yeah. But it doesn't happen, and he is really mad. Yeah. Now back where they start, this is I don't think this was in a church. I think it was in his home, because people had chapels at that time, yeah. and that's where they had services. And so he's back there, and this is where he, this is where it all breaks out. Where he says, 
the life of the blood or the life of the flesh is in the blood. And remember now, all of Dracula is about blood. Yeah. All the story of Dracula, it starts with blood, it ends with blood. And he and he blood actually... is a big part of the like Christian faith. And it's also a big part of, you know, he was in all these bloody wars, spilling blood, like blood is like all over this story. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and in fact, in Leviticus 17, 11, an Old Testament book, uh, that's where he quotes the life of the flesh is in the blood. Mm-hmm. And then he says something like, and I claim the blood, I drink the blood. And he, and he stabs that stone um, cross and it starts spilling blood everywhere. And eventually there's even this huge spilling of blood that Coppola apparently um, um, thought was a great idea. <laughs> yeah. And it does have a... a uh, a dramatic effect. And I want to say this too, that I noticed this time around more iconic uh, snapshots, if you will, than I ever noticed before. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, foreshadowing in the movie visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not done as straightforward as in some films. It's like a lot of um, you know hints that things are going to go one way or another with images in the background and things like that. Yeah. It also, at the very end, when... Dracula finally realizes that he doesn't want to ter- condemn Mina to mm-hmm. a life of the undead and he repents. And then he says, let me rest. Let me have peace. And she knows what that means. She's got to kill him. And then he, in a very iconic moment, says, it is finished. Yeah. Which we all know is a line from uh, St. John 19, verse 30, where Jesus finishes the work that he came to do. And Coppola must have known what he was doing with, oh, yeah. with all this. I think he just thought, you know, this story, the book, uh, draws heavily from all these themes, but it could be even more, and it creates like this really gothic, you know, dark vibe to the whole film um, mm-hmm. and, and just makes it that much more interesting and that much more relatable because most people uh, in the Western world are familiar with all these themes and ideas. Yes. And it sort of, I don't want to say connects it to reality because obviously I don't think vampires are real. Right. <laughs> but I think it, it sort of makes the mythology of vampires more grounded when you connect it so directly to Catholicism. Speaking of that, this story could not have been written oh, yeah, any time in, in, the, in, the, in the present because at the time when it was written, and then at the time when it's supposed to take place, which is 1897, just three years before the turn of the century, um, people were very religious. Mm-hmm. There yeah, was that... a lot of Catholics. And right. in the countries where this took place, in um, in Transylvania, in, in Hungary, Romania, those areas, uh, it, they were very, very strong Catholic. And you can see the way Bram Stoker writes this, um, the whole of, of England at that time even, it was a very strong either Protestant or Catholic um, faith mm-hmm. in, in society. And they, they use all of this or this comes out and it's, it seems very normal because it was very normal. I think I forget, you know, kind of moving forward from that first scene and into where we're going to meet uh, Keanu Reeves' character, Jonathan Harker. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I kind of forget that uh, Dracula has this plan like you know he's been around for four centuries now and his next move is to quietly he moves to london and then he starts quietly buying up properties 
in London specifically, I think, because of the sewers so that he can travel at night, right, to different places. Like, there's sort of a weird underground thing they talk about in the movie that he could have all these places. He's he's creating, like, little strongholds, I think, where he's going to, in a way, continue what he did in his life by, like, conquering more places, but I guess with vampires this time. Let me say something about that because I thought it was also ingenious that he is now living 400 years in Transylvania. He has run out of blood. Right. And yeah. he needs to go somewhere where there's fresh blood. But it has to be where he can operate quietly, I think. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And he needs a bigger population. And the people around him are already so leery of him that they avoid him. Right. They so, know. They're like, we don't go to his castle. Um, he employs these gypsies to help him move his dirt and things like that. Yes. But nobody else is going to come close. Exactly. They've got 400 years of this was long enough. So now he moves and he ex- kind of explains that to uh, to Jonathan Harker when he says, I want to experience your London, your place, your life there, your death. <laughs> he even like, tells uh... him. But Harker, of course, at this stage, hasn't wised up yet like he does later on. Yeah. So then, Dracula, it's an ingenious plan, but he didn't count on Van Helsing. He didn't right. count on the fact that somebody Wouldn't would be know. onto him. Mm-hmm. And so he ends up coming back much quicker than he ever planned. But he does find Mina, and that's one of his life goals. Yeah. Well, do you think, I don't think he was aware cause he, that she could be reincarnated because he asks, when he sees the picture of Mina, Winona Ryder, who looks like Elisabetta and is played by, you know, the same actress in the movie. Yes. But um, when he sees her, he asks if if he believes in destiny. And he seems genuinely shocked when he sees the photo. Yes, uh, so, but here's here's something. He must have been aware of reincarnation, even though he himself may not have been a believer in it. He's aware of reincarnation, which is interesting because, back to the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church does not yeah, believe in reincarnation. Yeah, decide that? And the Protestant Church also does not believe in reincarnation. And I believe that even Hebrew uh, religion, Judaism, does not believe. But the at the time and throughout history, people have believed in reincarnation. Maybe he just thought it's possible if all these other things are possible. So, um, what do you have any thoughts on Keanu Reeves in I this do. role? Okay, <laughs> I I'm, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. I, I agree with all of the criticism of, of Keanu Reeves, even though I like him. Me too. I like him. I even liked him in this movie, but I, I, I also recognize that he was weak in his accent as well as in his his acting ability. But he was he was put in a very unfair position I agree. between Gary Oldman and. Anthony Hopkins. Right. And honestly, even Winona Ryder, who, yes. you know, she was extremely famous in the 90s. It, it's, it's you know, she was in Little Women. She was, uh, you know, in so many great films. But she has a lot of acting range. I think people forget that she can do more. Oh, yes. Um, and I think in this movie, you know, I'm not going to say she's the best actress ever or whatever. I don't even think she's necessarily comparable to Gary Oldman and Anthony Hopkins, but you know, she's much younger and much greener as an actress, but she is really good in this role. Like she's, it's like you forget she can be this good. Cause after that, she didn't necessarily always pick roles like this. She had a couple that I really like, like girl interrupted and movies like that, where she plays a really good dramatic role. But this is, uh, 
you know, comparatively to Keanu Reeves, he definitely seems out of his element where she does not. Well, I finally read about Keanu Reeves and why he was chosen for this. He was chosen as eye candy. Yeah. Pretty much. However. But they do that a lot in movies. They think, yes, you know, hey, yes, we've got to get young wrong. people into the theater. Right. But I think it was still miscast. I think they could have. I mean, honestly, like Brad Pitt would have been a better choice or, you know, somebody like that that is eye candy, but is also like a better, an actor that has a little more range. It's not that he's a bad actor. I don't think Keanu Reeves is a bad actor. It's just, he's he's got an element he shines in and this is just miscast. This is the wrong part for him. But um, I also think they should have chosen all British people. This is a British story. <laughs> well, but they do that a lot. I mean, both ways, right? Where they'll cast a bunch of, you know, a lot of the actresses and the newest Little Women weren't necessarily American. They're British, Which Irish. Which is a mistake. No, I don't think they so. They only did it right for <laughs> Harry Potter. In Harry Potter, everybody was British. Yeah. And that was the right thing to do. When they made the new Harry Potter ones, the I mean, Fantastic Beasts, they picked Americans. And that was a problem. Gary Oldman wasn't Transylvanian, you know. <laughs> That's true. But but he is British. And yeah. this is a British story. Is he British? Yeah, he is. Okay. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Now, I always forget. <laughs> he, he, He's just done so many different roles that I forget. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, so that's uh, Keanu Reeves. So we agree on that. I think I think the movie stands uh, stands uh, well with its actors, and we've stopped criticizing him. Oh I yeah, think he did I, I don't a want to spend job. any time criticizing him. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to address the the elephant in the room. Yes, uh, yes. But I but I definitely do not want to, this to turn into a Keanu Reeves bashing session because I, I love Keanu Reeves. I really do. The John Wick movies yes, are awesome. Yes, yes. And, like uh, you know, too. The Matrix. And he's just been in so many great films and Where brought so much shine. joy. Yeah. That did an amazing job that maybe other some of these other actors, you know, I couldn't see in, in those roles. So um, don't want to come down on him at all. So Okay. Now, the next person, um, Winona Ryder, I think she did a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. Her British accent was on and off. She would use <laughs> it sometimes bit, yeah. and then not use it. <laughs> but she did a great job, so it was easy, easier to overlook. And, of course, Anthony Hopkins is one of my favorite characters in this movie. Um, yeah, you know, he does a good job. I always forget that Van Helsing is in Dracula. Like, do you ever like forget that he's part of that well, story? Yes, because Van Helsing has become a personality of his own. Yeah, that's just as big as Dracula right. now, but not then. And in the book, it's like it's more like he's studying it and he's on to him, where he's turned into a superhero now, like in in yes. pop culture, you know, uh, consciousness. But um, I was going to mention too. I know we said we wouldn't run through every actor, but just a couple more. Okay. Um, I, when you, one big standout for me seeing this now after so many years again is uh, Lucy, uh, who's played by Sadie Frost. I think her performance in the movie is really good. I mean, she does like all the different parts of that character so well. Um, It stands out because she's kind of playing a little bit of like a ditzy, you know, uh, buxom best friend kind of. Character. She's a woman of the world. Yeah. She's Whereas Winona is, is not. Is innocent. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I said that in air quotes, but <laughs> yeah. But like, um, but Lucy ends up playing so many different dramatic parts of this movie, or Sadie, 
Um, and, you know, including when she becomes a vampire and all. Mm-hmm. It, I don't know. I just, I noticed this time watching it, like, I appreciated that character more yes. um, than I did when I was younger. Because I think when I was younger, you know, Winona Ryder was such, so famous mm-hmm. and she's the central woman in this movie. So I was focused on her. Definitely. But now when I go back and watch it, I'm like, man, that Lucy, that Lucy character gets to do so much. It's almost like more of a fun role than... Uh, than Mina, but um, yeah. I heard her say that when she was carrying that baby down the stairs, a little girl, more uh-huh. of a toddler, really. Oh yeah, that that's that a she, horrifying image. <laughs> yeah, that the child was crying and that she was feeling so sorry for the child because here they are. She's dressed horribly. She's got yeah. blood in her mouth. And anyway, I thought kid. that was interesting. Yeah, I hope <laughs> that kid survived okay. Yeah, hopefully they didn't have therapy after that. Gosh, I also forget that Carrie Elwes is in this movie. He plays one of the suitors, the blonde one. He's the guy from uh, The Princess Bride. Oh, yes. Yeah. yes he's I also, always forget that he's, he's in this. He's also Robin Hood, That's Men right. in Men Tights. Tights. Yeah. But yeah. like every time I watch this movie, I forget he's in it. And then when he comes up, I'm like... That guy looks so familiar. Oh, that's you know. But oh, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of faces like that in this movie, including Tom Waits as Renfield, which I think was oh, yeah. inspired casting. I love Renfield in this. I love imitating Renfield. I know he's the best. <laughs> he um, is. When I was in, uh, when I was twelve or thirteen, I think, um, my mom signed me up for these the Dallas Children's Theater. Yes. And we would do scenes from Dracula and I would play Renfield. Oh my gosh. I (laughs) I I never knew that. Loved it. I wanted to be Renfield. And so when I watched the movie I was like so excited because I'm like, oh that's the character I played. I always ended up playing like characters like that, like guys. And I mean we didn't we weren't in real plays. It was a class where we would just perform. Well that's good enough. But yeah, I got to be Renfield at one point. So that was exciting. Um, and I love the way that they have him in this movie and the way that the asylum looks and stuff, oh, yes. too. Very, um, very, it looks, it, for those of us who didn't live in that time, it looks, looks very authentic. Yeah, it looks like <laughs> what I imagined it to be, yeah. a really terrible situation where you're yeah, not helping yes. anybody. Um, and the main doctor is a drug addict. Yeah, and I'm like, I feel like whenever we try to talk about doctors in that time, we just assume all of them were addicts because they had <laughs> yes. so much access to like morphine and oh, stuff, yeah. and so many people did stuff. did that stuff. Yeah, Apparently, because even Sherlock Holmes. Well, yeah, and I I mean because it wasn't like regulated. I don't think anybody thought about negative side effects. It was sort of just generally understood, like somebody who drinks too much, that it's not a good idea. But I don't think it yet had quite the stigma it does today. So it's like a right. real easy go-to in these movies. Yes. And I don't think they're, that doctor character is real present in the book, right? Well, he is mentioned. and I It's think been he so even, long since I've read it. He writes some of the documents that oh, make, okay. form the part of the book, his observations on Renfield. But does he have like a drug problem? I don't think in the book. In the book? I can't remember. I don't remember that either. Yeah. But so that that character's name is Dr. Jack Seward, who is played by Richard E. Grant. What's the name of the Texan? Which I'm glad they oh, included I love the a Texan, Texan in Quincy a P. Dracula Morris, movie. Yes. played by Billy Campbell. Yeah, I great job. By I this forget guy. about that too. It's sort of like a, a little bit of comedic relief throughout yes. the movie, and it's like. Totally unnecessary. But like, he acts there just like be a Texan. A Texan there. He, yeah, remember. <laughs> like they when... kind of try to explain it, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And you're just like, right. I think I'm it supposed doesn't. to just enjoy this character and not he, question him. You notice his interactions with uh, Van Helsing. Is like he's the one that expresses what a crazy guy this Van yeah, Helsing he's like, guy is. Have y'all noticed that <laughs> this guy's unhinged? Exactly. Yeah. Well, now, why do you think that Van Helsing was the way he was? 
I think that Van Helsing... I don't know. There's a weird moment in the movie where they're like, you admire him. And he's like, I do, but he has to be stopped. And I'm like, you admire him? He like sucks people's blood and like i feel like he's sort of i don't know if i want to say lives vicariously through him but he certainly gets a thrill out of hunting him and it feels too exciting like it bothers me a little bit he's a little too excited about it remember sean connery's (laughs) role in with indiana jones remember the whole story was about his father who was looking for the chalice right right and and the holy grail the holy grail his father was looking for it. Indiana Jones notices all this. And he, Ben Helsing is a person that's been looking for Dracula. He's obsessed. He's a professor. Yeah. But he's also a religious individual. They never tell us that he's part of the church in any way. But he knows all this. And in fact, he's the one that but quotes scripture. But he's reincarnated possibly well, from the priest in the beginning. <laughs> you, yeah, but you don't get that in the movie. No, not well, really. Well, it's sort of subtly hinted at. But yeah, subtly. it's not like... That he goes, I'm reincarnated. But it's like, you get this feeling, at least I do, for the sake of the movie, maybe just to kind of put this idea that he's sort of a presence that's always going to be in Dracula's way. In the beginning, his character tells him about the wife and that she's not going to heaven and blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, he's hunting him. So it's kind of a well, interesting see, again, connection. Well, you're making the assumption that it's the same person reincarnated, right? Well... What I'm saying is, I think that he's the same. He's played by the same person intentionally. Okay. You know. Well, and and also, I'm not saying it's directly just that. Literally, I'm just right. saying, I don't think that he accidentally makes him both people. Okay. Yeah. Now he has that book. Oh yeah. He opens that huge book, so he's no stranger to vampires. Whereas all these other people he talks to, including his student, the the the, the psychiatrist doctor. He's got this book. In fact, this, the doctor is the one that called him in because he says, this guy can help us because he would thought he was dealing with disease. But he was more right than he realized by calling Van Helsing, who also is dealing with vampires, and he has a long history of it, apparently. Well, and the doctor, he really flirts with the idea of there being more to begin with because his fascination with Renfield is weird too. Yes. Like he's, he keeps asking him like, who's your master? Who are you talking to? Like he sort of implies that there might be some, even though Renfield is crazy, that there's something underneath all that and he's got to study him and figure it out. So it feels like he already had, I don't know, like an inclination to believing in maybe a little bit more than what modern science knows and then he was open to it yeah he was open to it and and he was friends with helsing who i think is a little more left field than him but he trusts him and then i think yeah he subconsciously knew to call him specifically like yes i don't want to believe this this doesn't make sense to me but i know someone to call that does believe this and maybe he can make sense of it um and that's kind of where they go from there Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The doctor, I think the doctor, Dr. Jack, if you will, learns alongside of the other characters, you know, the other men that are there, including Lucy. Of course, Lucy, all she gets to learn is firsthand experience and it's very tragic. But everybody else learns and then finally gets to see the power of Dracula. It doesn't surprise uh, Van Helsing, but I think it does surprise Jack because he's kind of new to this, 
but he's open to this. Whereas the other guys were closed. They, they didn't believe it yeah, until like, they finally saw it. It just seemed ridiculous. Yes. And we haven't talked a lot about Keanu Reeves, who is being kept prisoner in his castle oh, while, yeah. um, and drained constantly. And he's always trying to escape. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm fascinated by the fact that his salvation was a nunnery, a, a monastery for nuns. In the, in the monastic order, that he runs into them, they become his salvation, and then he even gets married there. And, oh, and, yeah. And, you know, and then some of that, it, it's very uh, subliminal as well. Yeah. Uh, there's several scenes, several iconic scenes where I think Coppola knows what he's doing, and he has the camera dwell on those moments or split seconds of, of things he wants us to see without explanation. Uh, my favorite things that he does, because he there's different rules about vampires in every single, you know, whoever writes about vampires makes their own rules. And this one, you know, uh, he could move, Dracula could move to London, but he needed the dirt from his homeland. Yes. You know, that was one rule. And then I think Francis Ford Coppola added a few extra that are interesting because, you know, a lot of times vampires can't see the reflection. Right. And he has that whole like, you know, we, he sees himself in the mirror or looks at a mirror and breaks it. Um, but then he added other stuff like um, when he's around, like physics kind of doesn't make sense, like water drips up or um, his shadow acting independently of him, yes. which is a really good visual tool <laughs> to show, you know, foreshadow like all this foreboding things that are going to happen when, you know, sometimes Dracula's shadow is you know, reaching out for him or for his neck. But then he, you know, poor Keanu Reeves turns around. He's right there. And the way he can, like, jump around. And everything that he's doing is supernatural, but subtle enough to where you're questioning yourself, you know, or the character's questioning himself, rather, that, is that what I'm seeing? Or am I just, like, yes. really freaked out right now? And so I think, like, you know, not only is it creepy and it, it sets the stage that he's supernatural, but it's also, like... It foreshadows what's going to happen like later. Yes, know? yes, and, yeah. and they're very good tools that Coppola apparently knows how to use because they, they did work that way. Um, absolutely. Another, I want to make a comment about this about the way the book was written, the original mm -hmm. book. It is not written like a novel, like most books. Would oh have. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's written in in like journals, letters. Yeah, letters, yeah. Letters, journals, medical reports, and then there's a there's a. Um, uh, I think for the movie they added a narrator who who is Anthony Hopkins, but I don't think that the narration is part of the original book. I think he's doing it. They're doing it for the movie, but in the book itself, you go from one account to another account to just a so bunch you're of kind letters. of it's like you found a bunch of letters and you're reading them. Yes, yeah. yes, you're the one putting the story together, and it and it there's detail in there that is very baffling. Yeah. And you don't get to discover it until you put it all together. And I think when you finish reading Bram Stoker's book, you finally put it all together. Mm -hmm. And and uh, that's one aspect of this particular story versus the other Dracula stories. That is fascinating to me. Yeah. And I think Coppola did a good job of putting it together. Yeah, he had to change the order it. of it, yes. you know, to make it more conducive to a feature length film. But um, I think he does a good job with all the imagery and the you know telling the story and, and still having that suspense and that level of figuring stuff out but just in a different way um when we were talking about the visuals a second ago the one the biggest one that i can like never get out of my head is <laughs> when uh jonathan harker's finally like 
he's like, I'm, I'm like in danger here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like a prisoner. I know something's up with that count. And then he looks out the window and sees Dracula crawling up the side of the building. I, I like love that visual. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. so, it's so, the movie does such a good job of, of being so unsettling, you know? Yes. And it, it's not a slasher film. Right. And it's not just weird for no reason. Like, he's right. crawling up, but that's because, I mean, he can turn into, like, a creature. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, sort of foreshadowing that as well. But it, on on the face of it just looks like a weird visual. But that will pay off later. Yeah. And, yes. like, all the visuals are kind of like that, where they're weird, but then they, they, they play into the narrative. They're not just there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they do say that it was a big hit financially. Mm-hmm. That financially, you know, it was made for fifty million and ended up making like two hundred and eighteen million. See, I don't think I had, I don't think I knew that, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people my age or younger that I talk to, like they haven't seen this movie and they don't even necessarily think to. They're like, oh yeah, is that good? You know, it's like they don't have a <laughs> sense of like what it was like when it came out because it was a while back or maybe before they started really watching movies. Well, if you were born in nineteen ninety two, how yeah. would you be now? Like 46, 45 or 46. Wait, 1992? I was born in 83. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of it back, backwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, You'd 10 be years young. less than you, 26. Yeah, yeah 20-something, yeah. So, yeah, be, be like 26. So there's a lot of people that it's just an old movie that right. they haven't seen. Right, they're like, I, okay, I'm not interested. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, but it's got all these really famous people that you actually really like. And it's iconic. Yeah. Because they've taken uh, the story of Dracula. Now, here's my question on, on Dracula. Is he the first one to write on Dracula? Because I've always considered I him to be that, the first, but I don't know that. I think maybe Dracula, yes, but not the first person to come up with vampires. I feel like vampires okay. were, you know, have have existed pre him, but he was maybe one of the first people to put it into like a mm. story that like makes sense and has rules and that we can yes. kind of follow. Um, it seems historical, you know, taking Vlad the Impaler and combining it with what if he became yes. uh, a vampire. Okay. And then since then, there's been a lot of others, but I feel like a lot of them draw back to this first blueprint of mm-hmm. somebody that took all those ideas and put them down into like a story that's easy to digest, you know? For me, I think. For me, it's the, he's definitely the beginning of vampires, but not hi- historically, like you said. Maybe vampires were already around, but not this particular vampire. And he gives us the rules. Whereas the other ones, I don't know that I've seen rules. Like Anne Rice has rules on her vampires. Yeah, it feels like now a lot of times people do add a lot of rules. And I feel like when they do, that helps like ground it and give the story stakes. Whereas if they don't have enough rules, it's like they're immortal, way stronger than us. Like you have to come up with rules for them or, or they're too powerful, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then the story becomes less interesting because you're like, well, it's impossible for our main characters to die or lose. So you got to make up all these rules like, oh, they can't go into the sun or they can, but not for very long. Or, you know, just different rules to kind of add stakes to the story. Should we talk about, we kind of touched on it, but the scene with... Uh, when Lucy finally is all her blood is, you know, taken by Dracula and he completely turns her. Um, and then she's buried in her wedding dress. Um, and then she comes out of the, the or they go to they go to um, to kill her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Again. Van Helsing has that that funny line where he, she's like, I, I just don't want us to upset poor Lucy's, you know, gray for no reason he's like oh yeah i'm just gonna cut off her head and, and stab her heart with a stake <laughs> right. and he's like oh my god 
And so they go to the the the, uh, the coffin or the tomb, and they move the slab, and she's not there. And I think like this whole time, the the three guys are just like, this is not a thing. Like this is pointless and dumb. And then when they get there and she's gone, they're like, what? I think the the husband is like, what did you do with her? You know, he's like, what did you do with her? And he's like, I did not do anything with her. But this is proof that she's out there. And that's where we get that great scene where she comes in with the child, and they get the child away from her, and she's wearing that. Uh, wedding dress and she's just such a cool sight I, it's like one of my favorite parts of the movie and then they uh they fight her and um she what do they do to her that makes her climb back into the coffin they do something i think quote uh, scripture or yes. they do something um van, van helsing quotes uh, be strong in the lord and the power of his might repeatedly yeah and then they also show her a cross yeah and she like climbs back into the coffin and falls asleep and then that's when they kill her um but it's a really cool visual because you know i mean this is a trick we see all the time now but i feel like it just it stands out in this movie they it's played in reverse Mm -hmm. so it looks eerier and i just love her makeup and her outfit it's just a really fun moment and it's i think they they've been aware of dracula or had a couple supernatural experiences by this point the guys have of being thrown back or oh, stuff yes. like that They're but this is like now. you know scarier yes, <laughs> they're like yes. okay wow like we're dealing with something crazier than we thought um and so much so that at this point they're they're able to allow van helsing to do what he has to do yeah they're like well him. okay like yeah. yeah and uh what what do you think why why did dracula even turn lucy like what was the point of that like i, I feel like you could have gotten away with getting mina much easier if he hadn't done that <laughs> i i agree with you there is like couldn't he just kill a bunch of strangers and and stay alive and get close to Mina, but no, he goes over and he kills her best friend. I think they did that for us and for the sake of not confusing too many characters. In other yeah, words, because yeah. of him doing that with with uh, Lucy, Mina writing about it, the doctor writing about Lucy's condition and confusion about why she was the way she was. And I, I think that that's what the purpose that served. I think the other thing too is that maybe Dracula he wanted to be close to Mina, but that required him to look younger. And so he has to drink someone's blood. But he didn't have to be Lucy. But she was right there. But all of London was right there. True, true. You're right. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's just narratively, it's convenient. <laughs> I think so. It, yeah. was, it was convenient to, because... Uh, and she, quote unquote, deserved it because she was more worldly. Because you're yeah. a woman of the world. Yeah, yeah and a like, sinner. Well, that's what for, you get. <laughs> whereas Mina was as pure as the Yeah, it's like, snow. oh, this would never happen to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I think, too, uh, maybe there's not that rule. You know, in a lot of vampire movies or books, there's always a rule about, like, they can turn people if they want to yes. or kill them. Maybe this particular vampire, he can't do that. If he drinks their blood, they become a vampire. Maybe that's part of the transaction. Well, you, you know, he, he purposely, and he said so, was turning Lucy into the undead. And then he purposely wanted to keep Mina from becoming the undead. But then eventually she persists and he lets her drink his blood, which is how you become a vampire, according to this um, author, yeah. Bram Stoker. Mm, yeah, that's true. So he knew what he was doing, and you still had to drink his blood. But, you know, at one point, Anthony Hopkins' mouth is filled with the blood of those brides before he kills them. 
<laughs> Remember that? that Don't was a... think about it too hard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because he would have become a vampire too. Mm, hadn't even thought of that. Yes, yes. It was all... He asked Jonathan, did you at any time taste the blood of those women? And he said, no. And he says, good. But then later when they... There's blood everywhere. It's like when you it's watch a, 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 like a zombie movie and they make rules, but then they break them. Yeah. It's yes. Like kind yes. Of thing. Okay. Well, it's forgivable because yeah. it's Van Helsing. Is there like a specific scene we haven't touched on yet that you feel yes, we need to? Yes, there is one. Okay. It is iconic. It is one of my favorite. And I like to reenact it as often as I can. <laughs> and it is this. When Dracula comes into Jonathan Harker's room. And he's shaving. Oh, yeah. That's a great scene. I heard that uh, <laughs> Gary Oldman was pretty drunk during this scene. It's <laughs> a bad time. That knife must not have been a real knife. Right. But I'm sure it was. It made for some funny outtakes. Yes. And then when he pulls away, you can feel, because he's such a great actor. Yeah. You can feel his hunger for blood when he turns around and he licks that blade yeah he and and he just to drink that little bit of blood is like i can't control myself but he can't kill jonathan yet because he he needs needs him mina yeah yeah it's part of his plan Mm -hmm. so that's the only thing that saves jonathan because he could have just killed him and drank all his blood right then and there right right but he he was more foresighted than that but that scene to me is very iconic yeah and i i like it a lot yeah I'm what trying... about you? What's your scene? Uh, well, we talked about a lot of them. I, I love the bride, vampire bride yes, scene. Yes. Um, and I like, let's see, like I said, a lot of the scenes with Renfield where the stuff he's saying starts to make sense the more the movie goes on. That's and, right. it, you know, I always love it in movies, the scary concept of somebody being in an asylum that really isn't crazy, but like totally sounds crazy, you know, mm-hmm. and he keeps saying he's not a madman and stuff and he's screaming it uncontrollably. But, you know, Dracula's just brought him to that point. And I think that part of Dracula lore sets up the idea in a lot of vampire stories that they have a familiar that they keep a human around that they basically just use and you see that a lot like you know most recently the what we do in the shadows um the show and the tv show they they play that very comedically but um but yeah i i I like his scenes a lot and um the reason the reason his his scenes are powerful i think is because everything that he was saying was true yeah but he did sound like a lunatic Right. And he wasn't in an asylum because of the original that has to do with the asylum and with the doctor's medical reports on Renfield. Yeah. But yeah. but everything he was saying was true. He was not crazy. And unfortunately, he was also killed because he tried to help Mina a little bit. And yeah. it was unforgivable. Right, right. He had a, finally a little semblance of humanity for her. But yes. yeah, Um the other thing that I was thinking of... Oh, man, it just left my brain. Um, It'll come back. <laughs> um, let's see. Anything else? Can I say something about the soundtrack? The oh, music. yeah, the music. They say that the music was a big hit. Oh. A very big hit. And it came out on a, a, um, a CD of its own, so to speak. And it was very successful. I read a little bit about that. Um Man, I don't think I can pronounce that name. Wojciech <laughs> Kilar? Oh, yeah, it is a different, uh, composed by Annie Lennox. 
No. Uh, the love song. The love song. Oh, okay. Uh, for. Oh, this guy is from Poland. It's called Love did. Song for a Vampire. It's composed by Annie Lennox. Okay. But of course, the uh, composer was Wojciech Kilar. Hopefully, we're saying that right. <laughs> yeah, it was a guy who's not. He's from out of town. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, yeah, the music is, is great in the mm -hmm. film, too. Yeah, I totally agree. And we talked a lot about the production design. Uh, Thomas E. Sanders. Oh, something I did notice about that shaving scene that I later read was that in that scene, uh, if you pay attention, the walls are kind of moving and they're kind of moving in on the two of them. Really? To make you feel like it's more claustrophobic and like scarier. But it's like real subtle to where... And there's a lot of scenes like that where there's like like faces in the walls or like little shadows that look kind of weird it's yes, like yes. again it's a lot of like hidden messages that you kind of have to pick up on through multiple viewings yes um, subliminal messages that stay with you yeah i like the scenes you know a lot of people have cosplayed or want to cosplay the scenes where um gary oldman's character is young you know when mm -hmm. he, he drinks all that blood and he's feeling real good about himself after he, his boat trip where he kills the entire crew yes. and it gets barely a blurb in the newspaper right. um it's like back then it's like you know they don't have like the internet where like <laughs> these <laughs> yeah. things would have made a bigger splash um oh, yeah. but yeah he gets there and um he's dressed to the nines and stuff and um he's got that wig that i think joseph in our group said it looks a lot like when he plays um serious oh <laughs> it's like the same hair black. yeah um but also his glasses like i was noticing this time they look like ringo's glasses like they look really <laughs> yeah. modern they, well it, it is british that well and the, the movie's not trying real hard to be historically accurate everything is for like aesthetics you know um mina has that really pretty green dress and then mm. later she's got that red dress you know um when they become closer Yes. I like when they go watch a movie and he's real amazed by it. And of course the movie is salacious because in most cases, you know, the very early, you know, showing of a, a, a film, it, it a lot of boundaries are usually broken by something like that. You know, something people about... would go see that in private. And then later it's like, it becomes something good. I mean, we were actually watching a movies that made us and they were talking about how directors used to not like vhs tapes because mm. vhs was associated with the the porn industry mm. and it's funny like it's like every time you go a little bit further back it's true that industry propelled you know technology mm. um and so in this instance like they're going to watch a movie but it's not like a movie in a traditional sense it's like a small moving picture that is scandalous yes. and then later that leads to movies so i just noticed that watching it this time Speaking of that technology, uh, Coppola didn't want to use any uh, CGI. N not that it was invented there, but he didn't want any computerized. Yeah, they had, they had like computer graphics by then. But... And so part of that, those scenes with it, where they show film and... Oh, I that... love that. That little like hop skip that yes, old, yes. old film has. Yeah, they, they did Taking that. out some frames. Yeah. Yes, they did that because they didn't want anything that was too modern. Yeah. And and he accomplished that because the whole feel of it, you never see anything that is impossible to create in 1997. I mean, 1897. Yeah. You know, as far as technology is concerned. Well, Dad, I think uh, we are coming up to the end of our time. We're about there. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, 
I think, okay, so I think we've wrapped up. We've touched a lot of the most popular scenes. Yes. Um, we could definitely talk about this all day. Absolutely. Because <laughs> we both love this movie so much. Mm-hmm. But um, if you were to summarize it, uh, why do you think you've seen this movie so many times? I think I like the visuals. Yeah. But I also like the fact that it's a love story that nobody realizes is a love story until you see it again. And, mm-hmm. and until you see this version where you realize this is about a man and a woman whose love They're and They're like life... not destined to be. It's kind of like yes. Romeo and Juliet, you know, yes. tragic. It... But from the vantage point of two people that aren't necessarily the good guy, you know. Right. They're, they're two... In a way, villains, but it's, you know, still about their love story. So it's like a interesting twist on that. Yes. And, you know, for, if you think about it, Mina never killed anybody. Yeah, no, so she's she She's a good person at the beginning, good person at the end. Uh, but in but, love with a monster. Yes. The mm-hmm. monster now, Dracula, he started out as a good person, but he mm. really went out See, <laughs> as a soldier. As a soldier. Yeah, but he like, it said he got like pleasure out of impaling and killing people i mean they talk about that in the movie that's why i feel like she loves someone who is a monster that's just my stance okay <laughs> we can well, both have our different we could, stances. we could even say that when he went to war he discovered that he enjoyed the lust of war yeah okay but then to for, put the it next, mildly. for the next 400 <laughs> years he just slaughters people right and left and he feels like he gets to because he was disappointed yeah. right and nothing nothing justifies right that. of course and i'm not saying that you're justifying no Dracula. no so, I mean, it's in the real. end he redeems himself only because he doesn't want to turn mina into a living dead yeah the, and, and he realizes nice he realizes him. but he still goes to hell right right it's <laughs> like i've got to pay for all that other stuff i did um well and how do you pitch this to someone who's never seen it before i say this is a great love story written very well and this movie was done very well and i think you will enjoy it because it's a complete story it fills in all the blanks and it might even encourage you to read the book and if it does you'll enjoy it that much more i feel like around the time that i read dracula it was you know when you're a kid you're kind of like you only want to see new things and read new things and Dracula was one of the first books that I read that I was like, ooh, I really like, like, this is a good story. Did you guys know that? Um, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I really loved the movie. I watched it so many times. And, you know, I would just say I consider it to be a classic. In fact, I feel like it doesn't get quite the notoriety it deserves. Like I said, I feel like when people talk about Coppola's other films that you know this is further down on the list but I think you could bump it up a little bit um it may be just be because it's about vampires it's not as relatable as like Apocalypse Now and The Godfather but it's a great story and it's got a great cast a real strong cast um and it's I don't know I think it holds up you know every time I see it I really enjoy watching it I think Nick he saw it for the first time because I showed it Mm. to him yeah and um you know, a lot of people in our group are really jazzed. In fact, Debbie, who I'm sure is listening, she she was like, hey, have you done Dracula yet? And I was like, oh, I feel so bad. I know you invited me to come see this. But my dad claimed it and I have to give it to him just because. Yes, uh, you do. Yeah, because uh, you're my dad. But also, um, one thing I forgot to mention was this time when I saw it at Alamo, they played a lot of clips of, you know, older, like the original Dracula films and mm. uh, with Bela Lugosi and. Um, I noticed this time that I really feel Gary Oldman 
you know, maybe this is different and not the Universal Monsters version, but it seems like Gary Oldman definitely channeled Bella in terms of how dramatically he played it. Mm. It didn't have to be that dramatic, but it is. And it is sort of a nod to, I think, Bella's performance, you there know? You go. And one thing, if I can add this, I don't know if we mentioned this, but I went to the uh, Coppola winery. Oh, yeah, you did recently. And when I was there, I noticed that they had the costume, the... Uh, Looks like a Japanese um, uh, warrior. It, it's costume. Dracula's or Count Dracul's yes. costume, uh, when, or not costume, but his armor when he's in the yes. war, which I think looks like Satan. I mean, it's red. <laughs> he's got horns. Like it's pretty. And it is there clearly at the, evil at the yeah. Coppola Winery behind oh, cool. glass. And so, if you haven't been there, you can see it now in California in the um, what do you call it? In Napa Valley. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very neat. Mm-hmm. Well, Dad, thank you for coming back. And um, I'm sure you'll be back again when you think of another movie that you want to discuss. If and... I'm invited back, I will be. <laughs> okay. Well, I think you will be invited back. Okay. Well, but, thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.